Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. We're talking to members of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice about what it means to be a trial lawyer, what it takes to be great at the practice of law, and how being a part of NCAJ enriches their lives and careers. Produced and powered by Law Pods. Welcome, everyone, to Voices of NCAJ, the podcast for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. I am Amber Nimix, your host and communications and marketing manager for NCAJ. For the past few episodes, we've been talking with NCAJ members about some of the outstanding CLA programs they've put together this fall. And today, we're going to continue in that vein with my guest, Julie Boyer. Together with her program co-chair, Chris Haney, Julie has put together a terrific program for criminal defense practitioners titled Criminal Defense, Back to Basics and Beyond. The program is coming up on December 8 at NCAJ headquarters in Raleigh, and participants can also attend virtually. So if you would like to register, you can go right now to ncaj.com slash events. Julie is a highly skilled trial lawyer based in Winston-Salem who handles first-degree murder and other violent crime cases and has successfully helped her clients seek clemency and alternative sentencing. She is an NC State Bar Board Certified Specialist in Criminal Law Juvenile Delinquency. And before starting her own firm, Julie Boyer, attorney at law, Boyer was a former assistant capital defender. She is vice chair of NCAJ's criminal defense section and serves as the section's legislative co-chair. Julie, welcome to the NCAJ podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate you you making it because I understand you've had a intense surgical procedure recently. What was that and how are you doing? Yes, three weeks ago today, I had back surgery from a collapsed disc in my lower back that snagged a nerve. So after two weeks of pain that I don't know how to describe, I have no pain. I can't walk very far, move very far or lift anything bend, crouch, but I have no pain. So slowly but surely getting better. So December 8th will be my first adventure more than two miles from home, it looks like. Well, we really appreciate you uh, putting together the seminar and also like uh, helping us get the word out about it while you are under duress. So glad to hear your pain is fading. Tell me a little bit about Back to Basics and Beyond. Who is your target audience with this program? Who should be attending this CLE? Well, so we actually decided to do this not just for new attorneys, but also more experienced attorneys. The last three and a half years have been different for all of us. A lot of courthouses being closed. We've had a lot of new attorneys still being admitted to practice law, but A lot of those attorneys have not been really in and out of court and things like that, like a normal practice would be. And so this was, and a lot of us older attorneys, and I say older lightly, more experienced. That's what I'll say. More experienced attorneys. To me, it's always nice to have a refresher. And even if I go through a CLE that I know most of things, I've never walked away from an NCAJ CLE without learning something and or having a new motion in my pocket or a different, better way of getting something done. So it's really not just for newer attorneys, but also for attorneys that just want a refresher in some things and some new ideas 
We have a great panel that has amazing ideas. And so on various different aspects, but one of the biggest things was instead of having fewer speakers for longer periods of time, we are actually having very short periods of time for each speaker, about 30 minutes or so, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Well, definitely an hour for ethics. So using those shorter time spots, but also getting all the information from the CLE, we're going to be able to provide both new and experienced attorneys with just massive amounts of information that they can use later. That learning gap for younger attorneys, and I guess, as you're saying, for experienced attorneys as well, I mean, not being in the courtroom, not being in contact with other attorneys, not sharing information and skills as a matter of course, that's really something that took a toll on practice like during the pandemic, didn't it? It really did. And I still had to go to court, but in limited fashions. I handled juvenile delinquency as well as adult work. So custody hearings for juveniles, I was still in court. They shifted some of those online for a little bit, but that was still a lot of in-court time in various different counties. Bond motions, various different things where our clients due process rights are at risk if we don't show up. And so some of us still had to go to court, but it was so limited and different in how things happened that as an experienced attorney, some things become second nature to us. But then when everything is disrupted for a couple of years, it takes a little bit to get back to that just habit. So part of this was to make these things habit again. So tell me about the agenda. You said you have a lot of folks on here because you are doing the shorter sessions. Just uh, give me a general idea of who folks can hear from if they come to the CLE. Okay. I don't know if I'm just persuasive or a pain, but we have some amazing speakers. So we have Alana Fogel from the Duke University School of Law. She is the director of the Criminal Defense Clinic, and she's going to be talking about the importance of pretrial release, how to get it, and how to argue it, what you need to look at, what you need to know about your client. But also, even though the courts have been limited for a couple of years until opening back up, boy, the legislature has still um, been changing things and changing things. So we just had a, a new statute come out about bail reforms and things of that nature. So really looking at, you need to know factors. You need to know what factors do apply to your client, which ones don't, and be able to argue for those. So I'm really excited for her to come in. She's phenomenal. We also have Sarah Rackley Olson, who most people know from Indigent Defense Services. She's the Forensic Resource Council. Mm -hmm. She is a person that I email and text probably more than she would like, but that's okay. (laughs) She has an entire database with IDS about finding experts. And she's also a great person to contact with, I have this kind of issue. Who do you recommend? Which of these experts gets like five stars as opposed to one? And so she's, because the website through IDS is open to attorneys that are not just court appointed, but any other defense attorney can go for that type of assistance. It's absolutely wonderful to have her show up and say, 
here you go. This is a service that we provide and you do not have to be a public defender or a court appointed attorney to actually utilize these. And most of these experts have already agreed to use the court appointed rate for experts and things of that nature is always important to know. We also have Amanda Zimmer from the Office of Appellate Defender to go through appellate updates what things that you really need to work on and make sure you're objecting to correctly at trial. Mm -hmm. Because as an appellate defender, they can't help our clients if we don't help our clients. And so while we don't want to walk into a trial saying, oh, what if I lose? Well, as a competent attorney, you have to make those objections. You have to cover the bases. So she's going to go through a lot of that stuff, as well as uh, some expert information as well, because there have been some changes. Um, There's also been different types of forensics have changed with how they are introduced in court and utilized and what types of objections we can make or things of that nature, which can really help. Now, Chris Haney, which is the co-chair, he's going to be talking about keeping the record clear and how not to get IAC. Okay, so IAC, ineffective assistance of counsel. None of us really want the Court of Appeals to tell us that we were ineffective. But how do you make sure that you, even in the heat of the moment, even in, in the throes of trial, when you're trying to do X, Y, Z, Q, and also figure out what your client's going to wear later that day or the next morning, just chart, you know, lists of make sure you make this objection, constitutionalize this objection. So the North Carolina Constitution actually gives broader protections to our clients than the U.S. Constitution in some areas. So making sure that you utilize both constitutions for those challenges. And he's going to go through a lot of how to make sure you're objecting to things that you need to. Right. Then we also have Kristen Halkiotis from Greensboro. She is a former prosecutor that saw the light and has opened her own practice and is just rocking it. She is a great, great criminal defense attorney. She's already handling um, murder cases on the Capitol roster. She has her own practice. And one thing that she and I talked about one day over dogs, I have two, she has one. Oddly enough, her corgi does like to herd my English Mastiffs, (laughs) which is awkward. 30 pounds herding 340 combined pounds is a little weird, but that's okay. So (laughs) Well, one thing we talked about, the difference in prosecutors get the first shot at jurors. And if you listen to prosecutors doing jury selection, sometimes it is, I brought a sheet of paper out just for this. So what is your name? Where do you work? Yes. Okay. So seriously, (laughs) that jury selection is a chance to actually use your personality, have a conversation with people. Yes, you're going to have some judges that are like, okay, keep moving on. But if you're asking relevant questions, then keep doing it. Have that conversation. Use those people skills because you really want the potential jurors to be honest with you and to talk to you. And so if all they're doing is answering yes or no, you're never going to get an honest answer in terms of what preconceived notions they might have. So she has picked many, many, many a jury. And so I'm looking forward to that. And also, we have Berja Hensley from the Office of the Juvenile Defender in Raleigh. 
So she's going to be talking about getting your evidence and experts admitted. So as criminal defense attorneys, we do that less than the state does. The state has to admit things. They have to get their experts and all of these things. So as defense attorneys, it's a little bit of fish out of water. You have to, for me even, I have to go back over my notes on making sure I cover all the bases to make sure that my expert can get admitted as an expert in court and testify, but also different types of evidence. And there have been some recent changes to uh, certain types of evidence coming into court. So she's going to go through that as well. So I'm really excited. So even though uh, she's an assistant juvenile defender, she's one of the assistant juvenile defenders that still has a very active practice in that office representing juveniles. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing in juvenile court is that you really do have more experts testify on a regular basis than you do in adult court. So when I asked her if she would come talk to us, as juveniles have transfer hearings where you have psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health professionals, you have a lot of experts that testify regularly in juvenile court. And so with that background, I thought that would be great. Now, Cynthia Everson is the chair of the criminal defense section this year. And so she's going to be talking about sentencing. And the biggest thing there is getting to know your client. Most of us at some point have sat in court and watched an attorney, the judge say, okay, what would you like to have heard in sentencing? Uh, well, uh, your, uh, your honor, um, well, uh, we'd like probation. Well, does your client have a job? Hold on. And you see an attorney having those little sidebar chats with their client during sentencing. Yeah, that's the wrong time to have that chat. So <laughs> in sentencing, the more you know about your client to ask for mitigation, to ask for probation, those are all things that you can use to try to get a better plea or better disposition overall. And so it's really important to have a comprehensive defense from day one. And also, since we do have clients that go to prison, Elizabeth Hopkins Thomas, also known as Beth, right. she is going to be here from Prisoner Legal Services. She is the executive director, an amazing, amazing attorney. She's going to be talking about post-conviction basics. Also, what PLS does, because a lot of inmates will write to Prisoner Legal Services about, I think I was sentenced wrong, or... I didn't agree to this plea. So a lot of what they do is they review these petitions to see if on its face there is a legitimate claim. But also, I believe their numbers are outstanding for the number of sentences that they have had corrected. And they've started putting those numbers out, those statistics, and more so to the public because knowing what your client's record is, knowing what your client the blocks for sentencing. They do a lot of correcting that. So, but also they do some amazing work for post-conviction. And then we also have an attorney from Lawyers Mutual coming in to talk about ethics. So we are going to have our hour of ethics in case you need it, because I always do. So I'm that attorney that's sitting there in February online going, I just need an hour of ethics. Or so we have an hour of ethics just for y'all in December. So he's going to be talking. His program is Calm in the Midst of Chaos Resilience Training. And 
what we do is, as criminal defense attorneys, it, you're kind of constantly being barraged with stuff, other people's emergencies, other people's stuff. And so you're, some of us are just kind of in a constant land of chaos. And so being able to deal and get through everything and maintain a calm is so important because the number of substance abuse issues in our profession is very high because of the trauma that we see every day, the chaos that we're involved in. But also during COVID, it was very sad to me, the number of attorneys and others working in the criminal justice system that lost their lives to substance abuse issues and just not being able to keep that coping. Mental health issues, certainly that were no longer being managed in different ways, but I always like having that at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I, of course, skipped over me. I am doing a section on motions and I'll have a lot of examples in the presentation materials mm -hmm. because it really is just a 30 minute section, which is not enough to go in depth into. I think we could have a five day CLE on motions, but just how important it is from day one to preserve evidence, to obtain discovery, to get records, to for some of my juvenile clients, I have kids' parents that refuse to sign releases so I can get their school records and medical records. So I get a judge and I get use ex parte motions. So really just motions can be used in a variety of ways from day one to help your client because everything you do from day one is just building and building and building until the case is finally disposed of. So it is a jam-packed day, and I've been told that it is my job to keep everyone on time. Well, I can tell you right now you're going to have a full day of it because, yeah, this is a great number of experts and wisdom that you've packed into this day. So that's awesome. How long have you been practicing? 19 years. 19 years. Okay. So the entertaining part is, as I was looking for some experienced attorneys to come and speak, I'm not going to tell you how many of those amazing experienced attorneys are a lot younger than I am. And I was like, <laughs> but yes, I've been practicing. I've been doing this for 19 years. I spent eight months as a prosecutor. That shoe did not fit very well. Mm -hmm. So I've worked for myself uh, since 2006, except for my three years in the Capital Defender's Office. So you've worked for yourself in your own practice since 2006. Yes. So I was in wow. Roxborough and Yanceyville initially, and in 2013 was offered a position here in Winston-Salem in the Capital Defender's Office. So I moved to Forsyth County. And after three years, I went back out on my own. I kind of like having a little variety where I do juvenile murder cases and adult murder cases, but also other felonies. And sometimes just for fun, I go handle a speeding ticket. <laughs> so how have you stayed up on like all of these sorts of things, all of these topics that are, that you've designed this program around as a solo practitioner? How do you get this information on a regular basis to keep yourself like in the know on practice? Well, years ago, I joined the NCAJ because I was practicing up in Person County. There was not a very large attorney bar in Person County, certainly not a lot of attorneys that are willing to completely tell you what you're supposed to be doing. 
but I wanted to learn and I loved being in court. So I decided I was going to learn everything I possibly could and joined NCHA, went to the annual December CLEs. I think they've shifted over the years as to when they are, but I've met so many wonderful attorneys through NCHA and the CLEs and the conferences, and I've used them as resources over the years. The criminal listserv is always a bonus for if you're in a pinch, have a question, or just want to make sure you're not the crazy one. The criminal listserv goes out to everyone in the criminal defense section, and we have amazing, amazing attorneys in our section. So you're going to be getting answers from the top attorneys in the state and help from them and assistance. And so as a very young attorney, a very long time ago, I just would show up, introduce myself, sit down and learn, and then I would ask questions. And it has helped tremendously over the years. And I love what I do. I'm one of the fortunate people that can say, I love what I do 98% of the time. Sometimes that 2% of crazy makes me want to hit my head into a concrete wall just a little bit, but I do. I love to keep learning about what are better ways in court? What are better ways to get my evidence in? What are better ways? And that's really why coming up with this program with all of these different speakers in all of these areas I thought was so important because with all of the new attorneys that we have that are just getting their toes wet in court, and it is as a young defense attorney, as a new defense attorney, you are at the bottom of the pile. You are the prosecutors, no matter how new they are or inexperienced, will have more power in that courtroom than you do. And so how do you navigate? How do you make sure that you're doing what you need to do and fighting for your client? So it's something that I always loved. I've been told that I have way, way, way too much patience. But most of that is that I just don't have like a knee-jerk reaction to much of anything. And that's after 19 years of listening to, oh my God, what was that? Well, after 19 years, you now do that internally. But the greatest part about uh, having to wear masks to court was that nobody could see me go, <laughs> but they could still see my eyebrows. So I think they were less effective than some people think. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for putting this together. This looks like a really, really great program. I mean, there's so much really. I mean, soup to nuts looks like it's going to be a lot of information and a lot of new information as well. There's a lot of changes that have been happening. And as you said, in COVID, there wasn't always an opportunity for a lot of information exchange. So this is terrific. We really appreciate you doing it. And during that, it was wonderful that we had the ability to use webinars and things like that to still stay connected. And Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm glad that we're keeping is the ability to join these webinars from afar, even though I think it's so important to occasionally go in person, meet people, make connections, talk to people, because knowing people that do the same thing you do is a wonderful resource, especially if you're having a tough time or anything like that. Having people that you can identify with is great, right. but also, yeah, I'm in Winston-Salem. It 
it's a hike for some of us to get to a CLE. Charlotte, that's a hike. Asheville. So being able to reach out with these webinars that are, uh, so you could either be in person or online, I think is so important because it really allows more attorneys to be involved and more attorneys to get the information and utilize the wonderful things that we have at NCAJ. So we are working on some new things in the criminal defense section for the website. And so we're hoping to do another partial day CLE on technology for small and solo firms about things of that nature and partnering with the paralegal program, hopefully. So terrific. there's a lot of new stuff. There's stuff that did not exist when I became an attorney. So always looking for, what is that, work smarter, not harder? Right. Well, yes, I would like someone just to teach me how to do some of these things and to make all of our lives a little easier. Awesome. Well, I'll look forward to maybe talking to you again about that whenever it rolls around. And yeah, the ability to access this virtually or in person. I mean, we always love to see everybody show up at NCAJ headquarters whenever it's possible, because we do know, as you said, like knowing other people and building relationships with the folks who do the same thing you do. That's just, it's invaluable. But as you said, it's not always possible because we are pretty spread out. So lawyers can take the December 8th CLE virtually or in person at NCAJ headquarters. And to find out more, just go to the website, ncaj.com slash events. And again, that is December 8th. And then um, check out the lineup of CLE we have planned for January and February to uh, to help you meet your deadlines as well. We'll have a, a lot going on in February. So you can um, check that out while you're on the website too. Again, thank you so much, Julie, for uh, putting on this program and for agreeing to be on the podcast while you are in recovery. And I am really, really glad that you're doing well. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. So this morning, my husband has to do my bandages for me because since I can't twist and the bandages lower back. So yes. So when I got up this morning, I said, okay, sweetie, it's time to shower me. So I'm starting to think that uh, he's going to start bathing the dogs in the same manner. But <laughs> no, I was uh, I'm kind of happy to. OK, you may be on the video, but I'm so happy to see people today. So yeah, not Good. being allowed to leave the house. It's tricky. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing you on December 8th then for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.